Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here. It's great to have you here with us this morning. And two weekends ago, I was living my best life out in the open ocean on a cruise ship for three nights. It was incredible. Poor wife and the kids were at home, unfortunately. I was invited by a mate out and um, all of his friends, about 10 or 11 of them, invited me to come on this cruise with them and I couldn't pass off the opportunity. And I only knew him. I didn't know the rest of the other 10 guys. This was like an extrovert's dream, getting to connect with all these new people and build relationships and... I was talking to one of the guys there that I was connecting with, and um, he just opened up to me at one stage. He just said, he started talking about marriage, and he said that he's seen so many of his friends' marriages break down over the last year or two. And he wasn't much older than me. He rattled off about five, six, seven different uh, people who had gotten divorced in recent years. And you could tell uh, how that burdened him. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if basically everyone in this room has been touched by divorce in some way, whether you've been through that yourself or whether you've been hurt by that personally or you've supported someone who's gone through that. I don't know if you're aware that Queensland is the divorce capital in Australia. Uh, We have the highest rate of divorce in Australia in this state. Now, the reason I bring this up with you this morning is because we're in a series right now called the Sermon on the Mount, following Jesus in a fallen world. And we're opening up chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's gospel. And we we want to hear what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of heaven and following him as his people in this fallen, broken world. Two weeks ago, Jesus talked a bit about the law and how he came to fulfill it, not to abolish it. And he talked about how if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need a surpassing righteousness. A righteousness that's greater than what the Pharisees were modeling, the Jewish teachers were modeling. He wants a righteousness that goes all the way to the heart. Last week, Adam showed how that applied to the command to not murder, and this week, Jesus applies that to the seventh command, do not commit adultery, and to divorce. And so we're going to open that up together, and and we really need to listen to what Jesus has to say this morning, because he himself says that we're not in danger of just a little bit of pain or a lot of pain in this life, but if we allow something like lust, for example, to to grow and to, um, to, to be in our life, if we accept that, we are in danger of being thrown into hell, Jesus says. He is that stark. He is that direct with us. So he takes a very direct line this morning. It is challenging, but I want to encourage you, if you're someone who feels shame around this, maybe you feel like you failed in these areas, or whether you feel hopelessness around this topic, can I encourage you to listen to Jesus Uh, He loves you. Uh, He wants to set you free. He wants to give you life, and uh, he knows what he's doing. So let's trust him enough to hear what he has to say this morning. And as we open this up together, we're going to open it up in three different sections as we look at this passage. And in the first section, we find this. When it comes to adultery, Jesus says, the bar is higher than you think. The bar is way higher than you think. In verses 27 to 28, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, ladies, I'm sure that you're aware that men are very visual creatures. And I'm sure you're aware that men often are checking women out or they're attractive ladies. or Sometimes you find a man um, looking at a woman for an uncomfortably long amount of time. And they have all sorts of ridiculous excuses for this. Um, some say, oh, I'm just appreciating God's creation, uh, they're, just, they're just beautifully made. Um, some men say, well, I'm not really 
uh, cheating. I haven't done anything. I'm just looking. It's not, you know, it doesn't really matter. But Jesus says here, actually, the bar is way higher than you think when it comes to adultery. If you're looking at a woman with lustful intent, you've already cheated in your heart. You've already committed adultery in your heart. He takes his command. He doesn't want us to sort of just go, oh, well, we just make sure we don't do the literal thing. He says, no, I want you to obey this from the heart. Jesus wants you to have that integrity there. So, so he, gets, he gets right down to the very crux of it. But let me just tell you what Jesus is not saying. For those who have sensitive consciences and maybe you, you're very aware of this command and you want to follow Jesus, and maybe you, you feel bad if you ever feel an attraction to someone who's not your spouse or if you notice someone who's beautiful and you notice that, you feel like, oh, no, I'm so terrible. Jesus is not talking about noticing someone beautiful or noticing attractiveness. He's not talking about that. The, the Greek word that he uses for look, it, it's in the present tense, which means it's talking about a continuous action. So it's not talking about the passing glance. It's talking about the person who is intently looking at someone in order to lust after them, to covet after someone who is not theirs, to have sexual desire for them. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, ladies, for those of you who don't fall into that camp, maybe you're not as visual as some of the men are, uh, Jesus wouldn't let you get off the hook either. If, if you're reading Fifty Shades of Gross, um, <laughs> Jesus would have something to say to you. If you're um, fantasizing about what it might be like to be with a man who doesn't belong to you, or you're, if those emotional connections, you're fostering that with someone who's not your spouse, I think Jesus would speak into that as well and say, hey, he wants you to have integrity of heart. He wants you to give yourself to your spouse if you're married or to wait for that person if you're not or whatever, whatever have you. I find um, Martin Luther's illustration really helpful here um, when it comes to thinking about where the line of sin is. He says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So you're not really you can't really help if a bird's flying over your head or if you're a man and you notice someone that's attractive or if you're a woman and a thought pops into your mind. But you, can, you are responsible if it makes a nest, if you let it to grow and you focus on that and you let it remain. That's what we're responsible for. And Jesus said, as soon as we allow that bird to start building its nest, as soon as that begins, you've already broken the seventh commandment. You've already committed adultery in your heart. That's the first lesson. When it comes to adultery, the bar is higher than you think. Next, Jesus says, there is more at stake than you think. There is more at stake. In verse 29, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, apparently, one of the early church fathers, Origen, took this so literally that he paid someone to castrate him. Now, Jesus is not talking literally here. He's using hyperbolic, exaggerated language to get across the severity and the seriousness of this. Because think about it, it's more than possible to cut off your hand and still lust after someone. Even cut out your eyes, it's, it's possible to lust after someone in your mind. So Jesus is not talking literally, but he's, talking, he's trying to get the severity across to us. And the point of the right eye and the right hand is that those were considered the more valuable side in the ancient world. So he's saying you, you've got to be willing to lose something precious and valuable to you. If it's causing you to fall into sin, uh, it's better for you to lose that, to cut that out, to cut the sin out of your life than it is for you to allow it to remain in your life and be thrown into hell. 
Jesus is simply saying to take this really, really seriously. And so we should, because the statistics show that we have a major issue with lust in Australia. In 2021, some academics published an article titled, We Need to Talk About Pornography. They wrote this. Today in Australia, 99% of men, 99% aged under 30, report accessing pornography in the last year. Many are habitual consumers, with 39% reporting that they watch pornography daily. A further 46% report accessing pornography weekly. That means 85% of men in this age group are accessing porn and accessing it at least once a week. Now, we're just going to get the statistics out there. And if you're not already aware, this is a massive issue in Australia. And it's a massive issue in the church. And so we just need to be open about it and we need to deal with it directly. In another Australian survey... survey, Um, children ages 9 to 16 were surveyed, and almost half of them said they'd seen a sexual image in the past month. Half of them, 9 to 16-year-olds. Porn can be one of the most damaging issues the church has to face in our time. And since the internet and the invention of smartphones, it's just accelerated the problem. Sathya Sam is a man who's based in Canada, and uh, he tells his story of porn addiction, and this is what he says. He says, it may surprise you, but my first exposure to porn was in my Christian school's computer lab when I was just 11 years old. What started as an innocent mistake became an obsession. This pattern developed further in high school as many of my friends were also looking at porn. It was normal. I knew it was wrong, but I sincerely believed that I could stop at any time. Turns out, I was wrong. The situation got worse, taking even more control of my life. Going into university, my porn usage intensified. I was hopelessly hooked. Later, in a place of deep brokenness, I cried out to God for help, and he answered. In this place of deep soul-searching, I found God and made a firm commitment. I was all in, no more compromise. Many things changed in my life, but one thing remained, porn. It was at this point I realized how serious the problem was, and I set out to find a lasting solution. We'll come back to the story later, but for now, let's just recognize that this is actually a common story for so many men feeling trapped by pornography in our culture. And increasingly, the stats are showing that women are feeling this way as well. So it's not just the men anymore. And in verses 29 to 30, what Jesus is saying to us, he's being really direct. He's saying, this is so serious. This is really serious. It doesn't matter if it's quote-unquote normal for your peer group or, or whatever it might be. If you accept this in your life, if you just sort of resign to this, you could end up being thrown into hell. He's not talking to the person who is genuinely trying to follow Jesus and they're stumbling along their way. Sometimes it can take years to fully recover from porn addiction. But if you're someone who's just allowing this in your life, he's got some serious words to say to us, to his people, to his followers. And for some of you, the severe step you might need to take, that gouging out the eye, might actually be confessing this to someone. That might be what really hurts, to to really wound your pride and your ego and say, hey, I actually struggle with this. Can I please get some help? That might be the step that God wants you to take today. And can I just say that as a church, 
We are here for you with open arms. We want to support you in this. We don't want to be a church culture where you need to pretend that everything is okay and save face. We know that we are a hospital for sinners. And we want this to be a safe place for people to seek Jesus together. In our membership booklet, at the end of the booklet, we've got an article that talks about creating a beautiful church culture. And he talks about this ingredient called safety. And and this is what he says, and I quote. He says, this means no embarrassing anyone, no cornering anyone, no shaming, but respect and sympathy and listening and understanding so that people can exhale and open up and unburden their souls. A church environment where no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear. And that's what we want here. A church environment where no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear. And so, if you want help in this area, this is a struggle for you, or this has gotten out of control in your life, please just get in touch with us. Please let us know. First thing can I say is you can, if you're a man, this book is written for men. It's called The Death of Porn. Uh, written by Ray Orland. I think it's such a wonderful book because it's not just um, just focused on sort of behavior modification, but it actually brings the gospel of grace to bear on this. And it's just such a uh, beautiful, grace-driven book on this topic. So I recommend that to you, The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. Uh, men also, Pastor and Adam and I have talked about, we want to start a group this year for men uh, that you can come along to and you can confess this sin to your brothers and you can find support, and you can find love, and you can walk this through with some brothers that can help you uh, seek freedom in this area. So if you're interested in that group, or you want more resources, or you want books, or you want podcasts, please just email me, ben at oasischurch.com.au. Just send me an email. I would love to hear from you. I'm not going to shame you, and I'd love to walk with you and help you in that. So please reach out. And ladies, we know that this can be an issue for ladies as well, and it manifests in different ways. If, if this is something that you struggle with and you need help and support, I've spoken to Emma, who is worship leading before. She's our women's ministry leader. Um, she would love to hear from you as well. Um, she, her email address is emma at oasischurch.com.au. You can find our emails on the website. You can find at the back there in the back of the quarterly booklets. Please just reach out. We, we want to help. Uh, we want to work through this together as God's people. The Jesus, Jesus teaches here, really, that there is no in-between. We need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. And so we need to deal with it severely. He teaches that when it comes to adultery, the bar is higher than we think, that there's more at stake than we think. But there's not more at stake just because it might bring God's judgment down on us, but because it actually destroys marriages for those who are married, and for those who hope to get married. Uh, I don't know about in Australia, but in the U.S., um, 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. That's one in two divorces in the U.S. where pornography use is a significant contributing factor. So no wonder that's where Jesus talks to next. He's dealt with adultery, and now he turns to divorce. And he talks about how his followers should think about this. He says there is more responsibility than you think. There's more responsibility than you think. In verses 31 to 32, Jesus, it says, it has been said, Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, your Bible might give you a reference to Deuteronomy 24, 
uh, he's not actually quoting from Deuteronomy 24, but he's, he's quoting what some of the Jewish teachers were saying at this time as they interpreted that passage. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, let me just say, when it comes to this topic, I realize that we have beloved brothers and sisters here who have been through divorce, um, and so many of us have been affected by this, and my intention in teaching on this is not to heap more pain on you than the, with the pain that you've already experienced. Uh, my intention is just simply to teach what Jesus says. Uh, we need to hear what Jesus says as a church, and he wants uh, to help us and bless us, so we can listen to him. Uh, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. There is uh, forgiveness and there is grace available and sometimes divorce is not even sinful sometimes it's permissible according to the bible so it's a nuanced topic let me just say it's a difficult one as well because so many christians disagree about what the bible permits uh, for divorce and so um, let me just say i've got to approach this very humbly i'm going to try and teach you what i believe the bible says but each one of us needs to really grapple with what the scriptures say and really give our hearts to jesus and say i want to follow you i want to worship you. I want to do marriage your way, so help me to do that. We've got a responsibility to do that. There's one uh, really gifted Bible teacher in Sydney. His name is Philip Jensen, and he recently said, um, you may have heard me preaching. I've been preaching for 50 years. I've never spoken about divorce. That's because I'm still not entirely sure what the Bible teaches on this subject. So it's a, it's a difficult one. So let me just put that up front and say I humbly want to bring you what I believe the Bible says this morning. And so let me just run you through a little bit of it. We don't have time to comprehensively teach um, on divorce, but I hope I can give you a bit of background and then just help you get a sense of what Jesus is really wanting to achieve in his Sermon on the Mount. So if, you think, if you're thinking about marriage or sexuality, you always need to go back to Genesis 1 and, and Genesis 2. In the New Testament, when it talks about sexuality or marriage, it always goes back to these principles from creation. That's where Jesus goes back to. That's where the Apostle Paul goes back to. In Genesis chapter 2, it, there's that verse where it says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, in that, in that verse, we're told that these two individuals become one new unity. And, and it's this principle of permanence. That's ultimately what Jesus wants, is to uphold the permanence of marriage. That's what God would ultimately, ideally want for us. As we go through the pages of Scripture, we come to Deuteronomy 24. That's where we hear about divorce next. And uh, you'll notice, actually, that if you look through the Old Testament, God never introduced divorce as a practice. Um, it was something that was already being done culturally. And so in Deuteronomy 24, when Moses speaks into this, he's actually regulating and limiting and, and simply permitting divorce in particular scenarios. Now, in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, uh, the, essential, the idea is that he's saying to men, if you divorce your wife and then you want to remarry her and da-da-da, you you've basically got one shot. You can divorce her once and you can't keep remarrying and divorcing and remarrying and divorcing. That's kind of the idea. Have a look at it yourself sometime. But what was happening was, in Moses' time and in Jesus' time, it was only really men who were divorcing their wives because ladies had such, such a, there was such a power difference between men and women back then. And so unfortunately, uh, a wife was seen as the husband's property. So I know in Jesus' time, in that Greco-Roman culture, men could have sexual escapades, and if it, as long as it wasn't with a married woman, it was okay. 
but women were expected to remain virgins until they were married and chaste, and they had a much higher standard they were called to, so it was very unequal and unjust. And so when Moses speaks into this, it's actually a good protection for women because also in that day, financial security came from being part of a household with a man who could earn the money. So if they're just sort of divorced, left, right, and center, they could be left in a very precarious position. So Moses regulates a chaotic situation. That, that's really what it's designed to do in Deuteronomy 24. We fast forward to Jesus' time. There were some Jewish teachers that were debating divorce. Uh, they came from the group of the Pharisees. Their names were Shammai and Hillel. Shammai was said, you're only allowed to get divorced in cases of adultery. And Hillel would say, you're allowed to divorce your wife if she burns your food or if she if you just don't like the way she looks anymore. Like he was hectic, yeah, very, a very lax view and a, very, and a more strict view. And so Jesus is in his own amount. This is the kind of culture he's speaking into with the power differences and the debates that are going on. And what Jesus really wants to do is he doesn't want to get into debates about when and where you can and can't get divorced. He'd rather us uphold the permanence of marriage. And so he says to us in verse uh, 31, anyone who divorces, he said, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And so he just sort of slams that statement. It sounds like some of the Pharisees were saying, oh, well, you know, if you do divorce, just do it God's way, give them a certificate, make it official, do it properly. And Jesus is like, no, it's way deeper than that. Don't get divorced at all. You men that keep divorcing your wives, this is sin, except for cases of sexual immorality. There's something like that, that that's gone on. This is sinful. And so that's what Jesus was doing. He didn't want to debate about when and where you could or couldn't do it. He wanted us to uphold the permanence of marriage. He wanted to call these men to account. Now, you might say, well, what about when it comes to domestic violence? What would Jesus say in a situation like that? Now, in those horrifying circumstances, I just think it would be wrong to debate even sort of discuss when and when that, that couldn't happen because that's just going to traumatize the person, the victim more. The focus should be on helping the victim regain power that's been taken away from them, empowering them, giving them security and safety, and confronting the perpetrator, calling the police, whatever needs to happen. But if you're really going to push me and say, no, no, but can they get divorced? I, I believe there are biblical grounds for divorce in a situation like that. But you feel free to talk to me afterwards or email me if you want me to send you some resources and you can think through it and have a look at what the Bible says about that. Because at the end of the day, the focus in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, I don't want to get into that debate. I want us to uphold the permanence of marriage. That's really what I want us to do. He says, we are way more responsible than we think. We are way more responsible, way more responsible to make sure that we're creating a healthy, strong marriage for our spouse, where they feel loved, where hopefully they're never getting to the point where they're really considering divorce we're way more responsible to uphold the permanence of marriage. We're more responsible to make sure that we're protecting and helping those who are stuck in abusive marriages. We're more responsible than we think. In fact, Jesus says, uh, sorry, Paul says in Ephesians that men are called to be like Christ is to the church, his bride. Men are called, the husbands are called, called to lay down their lives in love for their bride. We're, Marriage is this beautiful, sacred symbol that's ultimately point to this heavenly reality. It's so sacred, and God wants us to image that well. And when we look at the Bible, God actually talks about how he's married himself to his people, he's entered into this marriage with us. And when you think about it that way, God has been in the longest marriage in human history. 
the longest marriage ever, and we have given him the marriage from hell. Really? Like all the Old Testament, you look at all the ways that God's people have betrayed God and rebelled against him and broken their vows. And what did God do? God stayed. He was faithful. He poured out more love. He poured out more grace. And ultimately, took on human flesh, came as the person of Jesus, went to the cross and took all of our penalties, all of our betrayals, all of our broken promises to the cross and died in our place, serving the judgment that we deserved. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we received from him as his people. We received this incredible faithfulness, this incredible grace. So how can we receive that and then debate when and when we can't get divorced? And we receive that and then it should be, how can I just extend a little bit of that to my spouse? How can I extend a little bit of that grace, a little bit of that love to my husband or my wife? That's what Jesus wants from us ultimately. When he teaches about adultery, he says the bar is higher than we think, there's more at stake than we think. When it comes to divorce, he says we are more responsible than we think to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation, to uphold the permanence of marriage where it's possible and to defend and empower those who suffer in abusive marriages. Now, maybe you listen to all of this and you think, this is a lot, this is heavy, this is so much. Maybe you listen to this and you think, you feel shamed. You feel ashamed because you feel like you failed in these areas. Well, Jesus has you right where he wants you. You see, this is the brilliance of Jesus' teaching. When you come to these verses and you get hit down, you're on your knees and you're ready to receive his grace. It takes you right back to the beginning of the sermon where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how he began. When we recognize our poverty of spirit, we say, apart from Jesus, I'm I'm morally bankrupt. I need God. You're, You're very close to the kingdom of heaven when you're feeling like that. You're very ready to receive the king's help. When he says next, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you mourn your sin and your failures... You will be comforted by Christ. You bring that to Christ. He says, blessed are the meek, those who are humble. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to say, Jesus, I want to do this better. Help me to do this well. Help me to follow you. Help me to obey you. He says, for they will be filled, those who hunger and thirst for this. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves, we're really ready to receive the resources of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven stoops down and helps us and extends grace and mercy and forgiveness and fills us with his Holy Spirit and enables us to obey Jesus' teaching here. This is what he does. And this is what Sathya Sam discovered. Let me tell you the rest of the story he began earlier. He says, I began a five-year journey of trial and error. Along the way, I tried internet filters, accountability partners, bouncing the eyes and ramping up spiritual disciplines. None of them worked with any long-term success. Eventually, I made a critical discovery. I was going about freedom all wrong, choosing to modify behaviors with internet filters and eye bouncing instead of pursuing change at a heart level. Once I realized that resolving heart issues was the key to freedom, the wheels were in motion. It took a few years of recovering from wounds of the past, cultivating self-awareness, building emotional fitness, and solidifying my identity before I finally found freedom. And by the grace of God, Sophia is now happily married. He's been porn-free for seven years, and he's now a porn recovery coach. 
He's got a program called Deep Clean. He has a podcast called Unleash the Man Within. He's really trying to reach out to men. You can check out his website, his podcasts. You can learn from his stories. He's helping so many men around the world find lasting freedom in this area. The message is, by the grace of God and the, and the resources of the kingdom of heaven that are at hand, you can change. And there is hope. And there is grace available. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can acknowledge your poverty of spirit. You can come to Jesus if you're struggling with this. And you say, blessed are you. Happy are you when you come to that and you bring it to the light and receive his grace. Will you acknowledge that this morning if that's your struggle? Will you confess that to someone who follows Jesus that you trust? Will you be vulnerable enough to let God work in your heart? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that we are your children, that you've adopted us into your family by grace. And Father, sometimes we come to you very dirty and tattered. Thank you that you take us in and you wash us up and you cleanse us. And Jesus, we just come to you this morning, the King of heaven. Lord, you, you call us to such a high standard as your people. And we pray, Lord, help us to see the beauty of this calling. Help us to see that the Holy Spirit, the one that raised you from the dead, that his power is available to us to, to pursue this calling. We ask, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit in this place. Fill us up with all the fullness of God, that we might have power and wisdom to walk as people who are sexually whole, who uphold marriage, who love others, who extend grace, who walk with people who are hurting. Lord, have your way among us. Bless us. And we just ask, Lord, that we can glorify you, and that you just be so honored with the way we respond to your word today. We pray and ask this in your name, King Jesus. Amen.